Support comes from the History's Trainwrecks podcast that focuses on stories like a temper tantrum that changed history, the president who promised not to run again and regretted it for the rest of his life, the World War II general who lost his pants on a secret mission in enemy territory. The History's Trainwrecks podcast, available now. As we approach 100 episodes, we have talked about a lot of things on this podcast. Um, most of them is just ways that people have died, right? We've talked about mostly how serial killers have killed a lot of people. And most of the stories also just end up with the character dying. Uh, usually pretty standard. I mean, last week we talked about people who spontaneously burst into flames, but there are some insane ways that people have died throughout history and we're going to look at four of those stories this week on our weird world our weird world welcome to our weird world episode number 98 which means in two weeks we have hit 100 and then a couple of weeks after that we will have hit our two-year anniversary. Uh, crazy, right? Uh, so, like I mentioned up front, this episode is all about just the craziest ways that some people have died. Um, and we're going to look at four stories here. Uh, the stories of Frantisette Katswara, Governor Morris, Clement Vallandigham, and Uroko Onoha. Um, these, <laughs> these are all going to be nuts. All right, so let's jump into story time. Frantisek Kotswara was born in Prague, but spent his life kind of just traveling around Europe. Uh, He grew up to be very musically inclined, and he joined a a variety of different European orchestras, which obviously he performed all over the uh, continent. Um, He eventually found somewhat of a home in England where he published most of his compositions. Um, His most famous piece was the Battle of Prague, uh, based on the 1757 Battle of Prague, the the literal Battle of Prague, uh, during the Third Silesian War in which the Prussians fought against the Habsburgs. I mean, come on, you guys know that. You guys know all about the Third Silesian War, right? The Prussians against the Habsburgs in Prague for some reason. Yeah, that one. Um, And we all, I mean, we all know the song. I'm not even going to play it. We all know how the Battle of Prague goes, right? Duh. Uh, On September 2nd, 1791, uh, Kotswara visited a prostitute named Susanna Hill in Westminster. And after dinner, (laughs) this is so weird, uh, Kotswara paid her two shillings and proceeded to, you know, build the blanket monster with her, if you kind of know what I mean. Um, However, you know, rather than just, you know, the traditional trip to the old boneyard, uh, Kotswara asked Susanna to cut off his testicles. Um, Susanna, despite being a prostitute, probably being asked all kinds of weird stuff, uh, she politely declined. And so Katswara then tied a rope around the doorknob, fastened the other end around his neck, and then just kind of proceeded with more traditional forms of lovemaking. And somehow, I don't know how they were positioned in the room. I don't know 
Um, I just, I don't know. But by the time uh, the session was over, Katsuara had uh, basically choked himself to death. So <laughs> that's, that's got to be weird. Because, like, I mean, you got to imagine, like, 1791 – you're probably you're probably standard missionary. I don't I don't think that anything else has been invented yet. Maybe I, I really don't know. Um, and so you like I'm trying to visualize this, and it's just, it's weird. So he ties a rope around his neck. We can get that. Ties the other end around a doorknob. I guess he closes the door. Tries to make sure that the length of the rope is at least enough to get him to where the prostitute is willing and ready to accept him, you know? And so maybe like, I mean, obviously the tension choking him out. And by the time he's done, he's also dead, which had that's, that's gotta be incredibly great timing. If he's just like, and then dies at like right at that moment. Like that's that's skill. All right? But what if you know, what if he dies in the middle and and he's just like cuz like he's connected to the door and so like he's not going to fall over and he's just like standing there, he's dead, just kind of mid thrust. And then the prostitute's just like okay, I guess this is over now. And then just kind of like backs away. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, I don't know. Just a weird, weird way to go. Uh, This next story, if you're a guy, heads up. This is not pleasant. Um, Governor Morris um, was not any sort of like fancy governor or anything. Like that was just his name. His parents, for some reason, named him governor. Um, he did end up serving as minister plenipotentiary, um, to France from 1792 to 1794, which is just a fancy way of saying he was the U S ambassador to France. Um, although he was from New York, he ended up representing, uh, Pennsylvania during the constitutional convention of 1787. And he was a signer of both the articles of confederation and the constitution. And he wrote, uh, the, the entire preamble to the constitution, you know, the, we, the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of Liberty to ourselves and our prosperity. And to make sure that the liberals don't take ever our guns ever again, uh, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. That's what it says. I just read it. It's right there. Um, probably the gun parts not in there, depending on who you ask, but, um, yeah, he wrote that, but, um, you know, that's not that's not why we're telling this story right now. Um, Morris also gave more speeches than any other delegate at the convention. He gave 173, fun fact, um, most of which actually dealt with the radical idea of letting people practice the religion of their choice without interference, even if that religion was not Christianity. And he even made a lot of speeches on the even more insane notion that slavery was the exact opposite idea that all men were created equal. All right, so this guy, insane. Like, come on. You know, you like, you know why everyone came over to America so they can, you know, practice Christianity the right way, 
you know, and then, you know, all men are created equal. White men are created equal. The white heavily implied there. You know what we were talking about. Um, But obviously, like I said, like, that's not why we're talking about him here. Um, In 1816, Morris was having some problems going to the bathroom because he had a urinary blockage. And despite everything that he and his doctors tried, nothing worked. Like he just like they could not fix the the blockage. But uh, this actually wasn't a new problem for Morris. Some years earlier, he had actually resolved uh, another urinary blockage by shoving a flexible piece of hickory wood down his wiener hole. <laughs> mm, no, <laughs> like I know they have catheters now uh, to kind of. Uh, alleviate I guess that's how it works um, but even that is just doesn't sound pleasant right I'm not, I'm not look I'm gonna be honest with you guys right I'm, I feel pretty comfortable sharing this um, and I think it goes without saying but I'm gonna say it anyway I don't want anything stuck in my wiener hole all right it's not how it goes it's not what God intended all right um, this time however uh, Morris didn't have the hickory wood, so instead, he took out a sharp piece of whalebone from his wife's corset and started ramming it down his urethra in the same sort of way that you just kind of thrust a plunger into a clogged toilet. Um, <laughs> what a visual, am I right? Um, <laughs> unfortunately for Morris, it did not work. Uh, even worse, his repeated self-plunging had mangled his inside so much that he died from necrosis a short time later. Um, God, oh man, I, I hate that story so much, but I had to include it. Um, next story here, uh, is of, uh, Clement Vallandigham, who was a career politician and lawyer from Ohio who ended up serving in Congress from 1845 to 1847. Uh, after that term, Clement became a staunch opponent of the Civil War because uh, he really, really loved the idea of slavery. All right, he is on the opposite side as Governor Morris. He thinks celebrity or celebrity. Where did I get that from? He thinks slavery is the best thing ever. Um, which you know, coming from a guy named Clement, don't think that's super surprising. Um, at one point, he was actually arrested for violating General Order Number 38, which made it illegal to criticize the war effort. So, like, if you're on the Union side, they had a law that said you can't criticize the war effort. Uh, so, so much for that freedom of speech, am I right? Why am I, like, doing all of the Constitution things right now? I don't know. Anyway, um, but, yeah, it, it was basically like you just couldn't sympathize with the Confederacy if you were on the Union side. But uh, as a punishment, they actually sent him to the front lines of the war where he immediately surrendered himself as a prisoner of war to the Confederacy. Like, can you imagine that now? Like, can you imagine the outrage that, you know, someone criticizes the president, criticizes whatever war or whatever foreign presence we have right now? And as punishment, they just send you to the front lines, to the most dangerous part of that. Like, you know, all those people who spoke out against George Bush for invading Iraq for a second time. Like, George Bush is like, all right, I'll just send you over there. However he talks, you know, he talks weird. You know, and they just send him right, send him right into Baghdad. Like, 
Oh, I thought this was America. Well, sometimes America has dumb laws, and sometimes America's not as free as you think it was. <sighs> this is why I love history, because like every time I hear like some dopey politician talking about how they're going to take our rights away, bro, like they've been doing this since day one. Um, the Confederates, after Clement surrendered, they sent him to Wilmington, North Carolina as an alien enemy. But without really having much use for him, they uh, allowed him to leave the country on a blockade runner to go to Bermuda, where he then boarded another ship to Canada. Um, Once he got to Canada, he kind of lived in a hotel in Windsor, Ontario. And from that hotel, he actually not only ran a campaign for governor of Ohio, but he actually won the Democratic nomination in a landslide. Um, However, because I think there there was way more Republicans uh, in Ohio at the time, he was destroyed in the general election. And, you know, this is the part where, like, if you are a party switch, uh, party flip believer, uh, this was still during the time when Republicans were technically Democrats and Democrats were technically Republicans. And then they decided to switch for some reason. I don't know. It's all very confusing. Um, in 1864, Clement met with a representative of the Confederacy and actually discussed plans for like a new country called the Northwestern Confederacy, uh, that consisted of Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, and Illinois. And their plan was to actually overthrow the governments of each state and liberate any Confederate prisoners of war. Um, they kind of had this plan, but like nothing really ever materialized, obviously, um, they really didn't even get started. Well, later that year in 1864, Clement returned uh, back to the United States and President Lincoln, who was pretty tired of Clement just stirring up a bunch of trouble throughout Ohio, kind of kept his eye on him as he continued to make speeches against him and the Civil War. Well, when the war was over, Clement joined the Sons of Liberty after like after turning down offers to join the Ku Klux Klan, by the way. Um, and he adopted uh, what was called the New Departure Platform, which kind of carried a lot of the same sentiments that Democrats held at the time without referencing their views on slavery. So it was a little bit more publicly palatable of a platform. Well, by 1871, Clement was out of politics and was back to practicing law. Uh, I don't know if I remember. I don't know if I said that up front, but he was a lawyer. Um, he was chosen to represent Thomas McGeehan, who was charged with killing Tom Myers in a barroom brawl in Hamilton, Ohio. And like any good defense attorney, like Clement was committed to doing whatever he could to prove McGeehan's innocence, which in this case, and as it is in many cases, was pretty hard to do since like McGeehan literally shot this man to death in front of several witnesses. Like a ton of people saw him do it. And Clement's job is just to be like, nah. No, he didn't, man. Um, so before the trial, Clement was kind of talking with some other defense attorneys just about how awesome he was uh, about to be and just how he's about to totally change the the legal game thanks to this theory that he'd come up with that was going to absolutely prove McGeehan's innocence. Um, basically, what Clement was going to do is they were going to reenact um, the entire like shooting. All right. And this was gonna, they were going to make movies about him. Books were going to be written about him. Um, he was going to be immortalized as the greatest lawyer of all time. Um, McGeehan, <laughs> like, yeah, just all kinds of stuff. Um, after basically just after a really impassioned monologue in the courtroom, Clement was going to demonstrate, uh, 
how McGeehan could not have possibly shot his opponent, but rather that Tom Myers, who was dead, had actually just shot himself instead. Um, and so Clement, he's kind of, you know, doing a little dress rehearsal in front of his lawyer peers. And so Clement then reached for the pistol that he had in his pocket and purposely snagged it on his jacket, just as he suspected would have happened in McGeehan's instance. And then, as Clement hypothesized, the gun would accidentally discharge, resulting in McGeehan's, you know, attacker shooting himself. And then Clement accidentally shot himself with his own pistol. Uh, and even worse, he died the next day of periantitis as a result of the bullet that had lodged itself in his abdomen. Um, although Clement didn't make it to McGeehan's trial, obviously, um, the demonstration, like the court ended up hearing about the demonstration. I guess, you know, the replacement lawyer came in and, and said, hey, this is what you're trying to do. Um, and McGeehan actually ended up getting acquitted for this. It actually worked. Um, unfortunately for McGeehan, he then shot and killed uh, or he was shot and killed in a bar fight four years later. So um, I don't know, man. Maybe if you're going to do demonstrations with guns, make sure it's just not loaded. Huh? Wow. Shocking, shocking thought there. Uh, our last story here is the story of Uroko Onoha, who was a wealthy businessman in the Ogbadibo region of Nigeria. Uh, he donated a lot of time and money to his community. Everyone just really liked him. Um, he just seemed like a really good dude. Uh, even He even had six wives, which, I mean, for some people might sound like a fantasy. I don't, I don't know if I could do that. Um, I think one is plenty, but whatever. Uh, so one night in 2012, Uroko came home late from the bar and decided to go to bed with his sixth and youngest wife. Um, and as the two made sweet, passionate, sweaty African love, uh, the other five wives were out, were out in the kitchen or the living room or wherever they were. Um, they all met and decided that the youngest one just couldn't have their man all to herself. And so once uh, those marital relations had ended, the other wives burst into the room holding knives and sticks and demanded that Iroko, Iroko share his husbandly duties with everyone. Got to be fair, right? Uh, Iroko resisted at first. You know, he was just like, come on, God, like one, one is enough for the night. I was going to do an African accent there, but somehow that feels over the line. So I didn't do it. Are you proud of me? I, I showed restraint there. Um, <laughs> but look, the other five wives, they weren't having it. And they forced themselves upon him. And so after having sex with five of his six wives in immediate succession, which is pretty impressive. I'm not going to lie to you. That's impressive. Um, most men, I think, are done. Impossibly done after one time. But to go... Back to back to back to back to back. It's pretty impressive. Um, so after, as he's waiting for the sixth and final wife to come into the bedroom, uh, Iroko died. Iroko died. Um, and when his wives realized he was dead, the five older wives ran off screaming into the forest. Uh, the village leader then reported the incident to police. But because it's Africa and they have terrible journalism and just generally bad communication um we i we don't know how the story ended you know I, we don't know if their wives were criminally charged i don't know what your crime you're going to charge them with being awesome okay um but yeah uh Oroko 
died doing it too much in succession. So, which also, I mean, like, how hard are you working when, because like, if, if you're, if you're going to be like, oh, okay, well, if you're just going to make me do this, I'm just going to lay here and let you guys just, you know, ride me like that quarter machine in front of the grocery store. Uh, <laughs> that's a weird reference. Uh, but yeah, so that, Hey, guess what guys? That's the end of our stories. Let's get out of here. Episodes like this are fun. It's just like there's nothing like death is sad. Sure. We can all agree with that. Um, But it's just fun to switch things up, not tell a horrifying story, not tell a really sad story where there's all this rape and torture and murder. But it's just people being silly gooses and ultimately paying the price for it. So. That's always a good time. Now let's see what we learned. What did we learn? Uh, Number one, if you have to choke yourself out in order to baste a ham wallet with baby gravy, like maybe you should just not. All right. Take a break. You know, go on like a tolerance break or something, come back a month or two or five later and just kind of do it like a normal human being. But like if you're sitting there and you got to like be choked and also have, you know, your nips, your little chest buttons uh, electrocuted and then also have like a leech shoved in your butthole and feel it wiggling around like you're going too far. You're going way too far and you got to, you got to stop. You just can't cause th- you're going to end up dead. All right. Uh, number two guys, don't shove things in your pee pee hole because it could cause some serious damage. All right. Whether you got blockage or that's kind of your kink. Don't, don't do that. That's it's terrible. It's awful. All right. Uh, and number three, if you are a Mormon or you just got a whole lot of sister wives going on, try to spread it out. You know, maybe, you know, if you got six, you know, give them a day of the week, give them all one of their own days of the week. That's fair for everybody. And then you can rest on the Sabbath like the Lord intended. All right. But don't try to go all six at once. It's just, it's not good for your heart. All right. And clearly. You can die from doing it too much. Next week on Our Weird World, the final episode before our 100th episode extravaganza. And we are going to do a couple of stories about sports. Um... Generally, uh, I have not found very many like weird sports stories that like kind of span uh, all kinds of crazy themes that this show would do. But I have two stories for you. Uh, The 1904 Summer Olympic Games, which were just a giant dumpster fire 
We'll talk about that. And then I will also tell you the story of Jocko Flacco. Who was Jocko Flacco? You will find that out next week. All right. So thank you all for listening. Keep telling all your friends. Don't shove a whalebone in your pee hole and keep it weird. <laughs>